A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Welcome to The Visible Artist. My name is Sophie Loxton-Lucas, and I'm delighted to bring you this conversation with painter Marianne Hendricks. Marianne is incredibly professional in the way that she presents her work, and we really talk in-depth about why this is important, how she does it, and how it's led to amazing opportunities. So I really hope you enjoy this conversation. Welcome to this episode. I'm delighted to introduce the wonderfully talented painter Marianne Hendricks. Marianne is well known for her botanical oil paintings. Each work is an exploration of the formation of leaves of a single plant. And by focusing on the geometry of these organic forms, Marianne creates striking, almost abstract works. And each one is painted precisely and delicately. These works are wonderful as standalone pieces, but also work well as a collection of three or four, and they've garnered a lot of attention, featured in Vogue Living and the New York Times, and selected recently to be in the collection at Soho Farmhouse. Born and raised in Amsterdam, Marianne began her professional artistic career by studying architecture and spatial design at Central St. Martins in London. Although she then moved into fine art painting, this foundation in architecture has continued to influence how she views and captures the natural world. Her work is also highly informed by the practices of the old Dutch 17th century masters. I've always been struck by how professional Marianne is when presenting her work, both at live exhibitions and online, so I'm really excited to be sitting here and finding out more now. Hi Marianne, thank Hi. you for having me. Thank you. <laughs> So what are you up to at the moment? What are you working on? I tend to work on many different projects at the same time. I'm doing uh, charity postcards at the moment. And at the moment, I'm working with a client. I'm not sure if I'm allowed to even say, but on a big commission in Qatar on a larger piece. So that takes a lot of preparation and logistics for that. 
and in preparation for the Soho House. Also not sure if I'm allowed <laughs> to say Definitely don't it. say anything that's a secret. <laughs> well, I, I always have this kind of like golden rule. Once it's done, I tell everyone. Mm. And before, I didn't. I never want to jinx things. So I tend to work on yeah several different projects at the same time and then kind of work out the timings of that. I've been also developing new work of the Domesticus collection. Again, also oil paintings and, and also work on paper. That's something I've always done in the background before I decided to move into art. I did a lot of drawing and watercolor works. So now I'm create, creating work for that as well. When I think of your work, of course, I think of the botanical pieces. I've seen those many times at the other art fair. And as I mentioned, they've been picked up by publications and Kate Bryan at Soho House. But you've recently launched this new series, which is quite a departure from your yeah, previous work. Yeah, well, I don't see it as a departure because I feel like they're kind of like can coexist mm. alongside of each other. That's at least the uh, intention. And the Botanicus collection is still ongoing and I keep developing it as well. I keep finding new ways of training plants. I think that would always stay at the core. I think it's such a... Basic is not the right word, but it's such a... The centre of everything. Yeah. Uh, so that's why I chose to, to paint leaves. So how much of your work is working on commissions and how much are you creating works to sell directly through a fair or through galleries? Most of my work I sell directly or work what I've made myself. I do do a lot of commissions. They tend to be quite time consuming. uh, So I tend to choose projects that I think actually really suit me as well. Um, So it's kind of matchmaking feeling (laughs) (laughs) and kind of figuring that out it's always kind of a search as well. Um, commissions are a lot more complicated. Mm-hmm. I'm always quite cautious. I always make sure that there's an mediator in between. So I always choose to have a curator, to have a team behind it as well. There's always a lot of logistics. Uh, quite a lot is overseas. So I don't get to always see the, the space that it's going to be in. That makes it often quite complicated. And how do you find these curators that work sort of the in-between person? Do you have a network of people that you've worked with a lot before? So I work a lot with Saatchi, so they have a really yes, good team. Uh, a lot of people seem to find me as well through, mm. through that. I have been slowly building that, that up as well. I started out in the art world having no connections and no experience. So I started out cold turkey. In a way. <laughs> I really had this moment where I kind of said to myself, okay, I'm going to be an artist. Now I'm going to go for it. And... I didn't know how, however. So I I was developing the Botanicus collection mm. to coherent pieces. I started out with 15 pieces and I started to ask around other artists that I admired and thought produced really amazing work, had a really good way of presenting their work. And first artist I talked to was Daniel Mullen. I didn't know if you know him, but he was in the same studio complex as where I was staying at the time in Amsterdam and I asked him if he could give me some tips mm-hmm. and he very quickly mentioned the other art fair and Sachi art and told me yeah kind of how to set myself up so I had kind of a starting point of because you feel quite lost in the beginning yeah. um, of what you're supposed to focus on apart from painting I think that's always the straightforward part yes <laughs> in a way to or, 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 
there's a lot of other things I do outside of producing work. Mm-hmm. I could actually write a whole list of things. <laughs> often I feel almost like I don't get around painting enough um, with everything I organize around it to promote it. I see that's a big part of my work as well. Mm. These days, particularly, I think before maybe. 10 years ago, say, galleries were... It was a more traditional system where you might work with a gallery and they would handle the promotion of your work. But there's so much that artists have to do so much these days themselves, which is great because they can control that side of it. But it also is a lot of work to be actually creating the work and then being in charge of promoting it and looking after your clients. (laughs) It kind of gives you a lot of freedom. So that's the positive part. You have a lot of control over how you uh, show your work. But at the same time, it can also be a great disadvantage to artists. You really need to know so many things. You need to know how to run logistics. You need to know how to run a production, you need to know how to communicate with clients, you need to know how to run your own website and all the promotion material, doing photo shoots. I've always seen myself as a company Mm. rather than being a fine artist. So I very much look at my work and think of it as a business. I've come from a very commercial background as well. It always sounds a bit like a dirty word. (laughs) (laughs) If I say say that word, some artists are like, oh, I kind of... I want to cringe. You've got to make a living Mm -hmm. or like don't have to. I mean, ideally, the dream is, of course, to make a living out of it. And that was from day one when I started. That was my ambition to make make a living out of it. I mean, I'm now in year four as an artist uh, and I reinvest in my own company as well. So there's a whole, and I have a lot of different income sources. So I don't have just one client. I tend to, well, I don't count them anymore, but I think I started with two or three and now I've got about 75. Wow. So So you have a database of 75 clients. Yeah, that represent me and promote me as well. Wow. Worldwide. Yeah. Yeah. uh, And I keep, more people or more companies keep finding me as well. Yeah, domino effect. Yeah, of course. Um, uh, in the beginning, this is, of course, very hard to uh, to achieve. I do make some compromises of what companies I've mm. worked with that ideally you would have more control as an artist. And so I okay. have given artwork without knowing where it's going to go. or where Yeah, it, yeah so to feel... Because I've heard as well a lot of artists say like, oh, I would find it really difficult to know where it's going to end up. Yes, yeah. And you kind of have to make peace with that, that it's going to have its own life. Mm. Yeah, so I do keep a very strict database. Mm. I do have a ledger where I record everything of where the start-off point is of the the artwork. So also to what continent, to what client. Um, That's kind of my own secret ledger, of course. (laughs) Yes, (laughs) of course. Um, it's really good that you do that because you're tracking all of your works and it means that people who buy your work can buy with confidence that you know where your work is and where it's being shown and it's got that kind of pedigree. The inspiration for, well, not the inspiration, I, well, I don't know if you, you probably know this program, it's called Fake or Fortune. Oh, yeah. And I watched it at the time and I was just, what a dilemma. And <laughs> it does discredit the artist a lot if it does get faked. Thankfully, I don't know what has faked my work. But, um, some people do like, get inspired by my work and then mm. tell me and show me, which is really nice. Because it's also a way of uh, 
well, the way I create my work, I always feel it's like a way of thinking yes. um, and a certain approach to seeing things. And it's nice when other artists have a connection with that and and then they take it in a whole different direction again as well. So, <laughs> um, yeah, that's really nice. Do you ever have to say no to projects? You sounds like you've got so much going on. Sometimes I think artists find it hard to say no. Yeah, I've, I've recently been um, started to really think more through what I'm accepting and what I'm declining. Mm-hmm. So I am very careful in negotiation. There's always a complete breakdown of each project of different elements of what the artist is responsible for and what the client is responsible for. And that's always quite a conversation that takes place also with the curator together. That makes it, of course, a lot easier and quicker. I always recommend to any of you do commissions to always have a curator. I know it's quite a cut uh, that uh, gets taken, but it makes such a huge difference. It's so incredibly time-consuming to to do that. Yeah, I'm a little bit more selective at the moment. I'm also environmentally trying to be conscious. I do find it really difficult to say no. (laughs) It's so difficult. Because when I started that, my golden rule was, to say yes to everything. Of course. I mean, I say yes to everything, but cautiously. Especially when I started out, there was a lot of dodgy people contacting me. Yes. I don't know if other artists have um, they do. Yeah. Uh, experienced this. And now I hardly ever have. And But in the beginning, you got these like... Uh, I think now I almost kind of like filter them out automatically. But in the beginning, you didn't know... Who was to tr- or who's to trust? Yeah. Uh, um, you get to know the art world and who are the honest players. Yeah. Uh, and you have to really get used to all the contracts. In the beginning, I just care very carefully was reading through them and trying to understand them. Yeah, you, as an artist, you do a lot of things on your own and being cautious. Yeah. So I say yes to everything, but like, incredibly <laughs> cautious of. I think my very first painting was someone that was trying it was so elaborate trying to buy a painting but then trying to whitewash whitewash it it was such a bizarre it was an affair in in Amsterdam I had no experience I still had to kind of like learn of how to do everything this person's trying to buy my artwork via PayPal and had this whole like set it became more and more complicated and <laughs> oh, no. I was just like yeah so yeah I'm really careful mm. of how um I always have official transaction yes um, of course yeah. and even when time to time someone buys a piece directly off me that's all done officially a payment is also proof of purchase to a client which I find important there's no in-between pieces so I have a coding system in the back of my paintings that has a numbering system which you can't crack (laughs) (laughs) so you created your own code that can't be cracked by anyone else I've got a numbering machine from the Victorian times that I stamp into the back of my paintings it is an ongoing serial number uh, which is also recorded in my ledger I create nothing without that coat. So there can't be anyone claiming 
that they've got a piece of my hands in the future. <laughs> well, I can already see it now on fake fortune in about <laughs> yeah, exactly. fifty years' time. They'll be looking they'll be listening to this podcast using this information and saying, Is the code there? Let's try and crack it. <laughs> <laughs> but it's really it's fantastic you have that because your works are not I mean they're not inexpensive, they're proper pieces of work. And if people are investing in you as an artist, they're paying a lot of money to get those works. And you want to look after them and they want to feel really confident that this is a, a professional work of art. It yeah, can't can be copied or won't pop up somewhere else as a, on a website somewhere. Yeah, and sometimes artists sell their or give artwork without recording it. Yeah, And I think you discredit your own work by Definitely. that. So... I do want to have a very stable market value for my artwork and keeping to that market value is incredibly important. I want to for it to be stable. Mm. Selling work off the site would destabilize that. And did you set your market value when you started based on the work and the materials you were using or has it increased over the last four years? So there's a complete system behind it. <laughs> it doesn't surprise, surprise me. <laughs> Everything has a system. It's quite, yeah, everything is very ordered and very uh, systematic. I always think I do that because I'm quite, otherwise quite chaotic, I think. This is a question that is very uh, difficult to answer because it has, well, it's not, it has different influences of what your market value is. Mm. And so I started out a 30 by 40 centimeter art piece of the Botanicus collection, started off with I think it was like 300 euros. Okay. It's um, <laughs> a very different price to what it's Yeah, I wish today. I bought one then. <laughs> so now it's 1,100 euros, so 900 pounds. Mm -hmm. That was the price when I did my first fair. So this was determined by size, by the fact I hadn't done any exhibitions yet. So I was in my first few months yeah. when I was starting out. Also by the by the material as well. So in that stage, I, I guess it was quite underpriced, but I didn't have many costs to cover. My costs have gradually gone up as well. I've got my own photography studio, I've got my own atelier, my own studio, my own, a lot of my own equipment. And then influences of how it grows the price grows of the the paintings is very gradual but the first step wasn't so the the second fair that I did it went I doubled it in price I was like <laughs> okay let's you know let's do this <laughs> which I thought was a was adequate for for the material materials I'm using as well it's quite costly as well I do quite high-end, quite high-quality mater uh, material. Mm. I think that's a very important part of, of the work is that it's high quality. I gradually increase my pricing. So I have um, an increase of 15% per year every January. So, you, uh, sorry, guys, in January, 15% <laughs> off. So, um, so that's also to calculate inflation, but also I grow as well as an artist. Um, my value also increases as well, uh, gradually. So tell me about working with the Saatchi Art Curators. How does that work and how do they help you? I mean, I've seen, of course, the other side of it, working with them. And I know how much work they put in, but I'd be interested to hear it from your artist perspective. I compared simply with doing it without the team I have to confess I tried a few times without yeah. because I was like I really need the money mm -hmm. and um, the conversation between the client uh, so 
little side fact here is 90% of buyers or collectors are inexperienced collectors. Mm. So they do have a budget, but have no experience in the whole process because you're simply not familiar with it. If I do it directly with the, the collector, then it takes, I'm educating them at the same time. Yes. And they have to take my word for it, which is incredibly complicated with one client I was like weeks back and forth you know we both really wanted to have this project happening but I was actually losing money on it because it was just so it took so much time to take this collector all through this whole process and um, I mean this fact of 90% 90% being inexperienced buyers is by a book of, I don't know, uh, from Hans Ulbrich. He's written a lot of, I mean, statistics you always have to take a pinch <laughs> <Yes>. of salt. <laughs> um, I haven't back checked his, his research. Um, that really gave a good idea reading his books. So I do a lot of research on that as well. Yeah, with that idea that collectors do not have the experience makes it incredibly complicated. You want to be painting as an artist. Of so first of all, and the experience of the curators are just incredible. And they have, there's just so much drive behind it of making projects happen really quickly, mm. asking the right questions, making the collector understand that there's a, that there needs to be a time, uh, timeline. It just makes it a bit more official as well, which makes it a lot easier. You're creating a business deal and creating a solid contract, the logistics of the paperwork behind it, the shipping. It's always incredibly complex, so it's really good to have a contract person, to put it really simply. And the curators have a lot, so much experience understanding the space, what the client needs are. They usually understand the artist really well. They understand the whole body of work. You have someone guiding you through a process that they understand really well. And I suppose they're less, I mean, I'm, I assume they're less emotionally invested. It's a very personal thing to be buying directly from you as the artist. And if there are difficult conversations around money or the transaction, it's... It's a lot harder. It's a bit clouded by all of that. <laughs> that makes it a lot more complicated indeed. It just becomes a lot easier to talk about money. And it's an important part of the whole process because you just don't want to be losing money on projects. Because you've got your bills to pay, your your rent to pay, of course. And talking of speaking directly to buyers, how do you find standing in front of your work at the other art fair and yeah, meeting people and and that side of things? Do you enjoy it, or is it? Some artists, I think, find it very intimidating or they're just very tiring, and they prefer to be alone in their studio. Well, working as an artist. In- is incredibly isolating. So most artists that stand on the fair are like, finally, (laughs) yes, we get to chat. Because most of us are quite chatty. Before I dread it quite often, I get quite nervous. It's of course very intimate, very personal. You invest not only a lot of money, it's very emotional. You take a lot of risks as well. I always learn something on the fair. I always learn something from the other artists as well and from listening to the clients. I always think that you've got two types of art or no, a few. Well, I mean, there's in terms of like communication, you sometimes have artists that are just really good at just giving a monologue. Yeah, and they can just like they might as well be talking to a wall. I've I've met quite a few artists <laughs> who just kind of like make these incredible speeches, and they kind of 
are really good at repeating that same story, I would absolutely go insane if I had to do that. You tend to kind of gauge if someone is interested or it's, if someone is moved by the work or has a connection with the work. So, so I tend to chat, have many conversations, informal, small talk. Connection with, with the artwork and the artists are the most important. But the idea of selling it, I find that incredibly hard. I don't try to flock off. Mm. <laughs> I don't think I could do that. <laughs> and I don't think people are comfortable. Like, as a collector, you know if you're interested in mm. a um, piece of artwork yes. and if you actually really want to have it. I might have missed out on a few sales, <laughs> I guess. Often people, people, yeah, they decide for themselves if they want to purchase the work. Often collectors walk over the fair and have a budget in mind. Yeah. Which I think is just a lovely idea. Having that in the back of your mind as an artist standing there. They, but it doesn't feel com- it doesn't feel competitive to me. I, there, I think there's always with the, the other artists standing next to each other. It doesn't feel like I'm going to steal your, you know. And it doesn't, no, I, doesn't I always, work like that. I never felt like, that, that. Yeah, I always thought that. I was surprised because you are stand, you are right next door to all these artists, and there's obviously people walking around. And if their attention, you, you know, they're looking at your work, and then their attention is just diverted, suddenly you've lost them. But it doesn't feel as though the artists are competitive at all. The work is so different that you're all in the same boat, really. But if you have an art, if you have a an uh, a visitor at your booth looking at the work and they're obviously really interested do you ever try and translate that into a sale or do you just really let them lead that part of the conversation do you ever do a sales pitch <laughs> <laughs> yeah, i wish i had the courage to to really push it into a sale, sales pitch i obviously know that some artists are really good at that at like really being quite forward so sometimes i do i, I kind of ask like you know um, what their motivation is are they just looking are they looking for something particular in their home so yeah i i've talked to a few curators to ask like oh what should i you know what should i say to kind of make make a sale happen I, but I still find it very difficult. Do people ever ask for discounts or reduction in price? And would you accept that? That seems like a tricky question for artists. Um, yeah, if you have you made your mind up beforehand, since the last few fairs, I do like a 10% mm. reduction price. And for multiple purchase purchases, it's 20%. So I do calculate that within my prices again as well. So logistically makes sense as well i think a lot of curators ask for it as well if there's a reduction price and then i straight away have it i already have calculated it i actually tend to do because i get a bit nervous about doing maths so i do write it all down yeah and have a little um and i now i've even put it down on the labels next to the painting so people can straight away see like oh this is the rate i'm getting it for when i'm purchasing it this week Mm, that's really wise i I know there was one artist, this was a while ago now, but she sold a really large painting at the fair and she was, of course, really thrilled to sell it. But I think that the buyer had been quite aggressive in his bargaining skills and really pushed her too low. And because she hadn't done the calculation before, she ended up selling the piece for far a much lower price than she was happy to. So it was actually quite a negative experience for her, which is a shame. But on the other hand, she sold this really large piece um, but it just put her in a very difficult position. So it's very wise to prepare 
your discounts in advance. Yeah, absolutely. And calculated beforehand, I have like my 15 and 20%. <laughs> and that's what I'm happy with. If someone is really like very pushy, I might. Uh, but I don't, you know, I, again, I have a market value. Mm-hmm. I don't want to divert too much from that so absolutely it's you don't want it to be a negative experience i think i once bought an uh, art piece together with my dad whilst i was exhibiting myself on the other art fair and um i hope i didn't overwhelm this artist but i was i had a little bit of experience so i was quite i was like you know, I want to negotiate. <laughs> and she was like, oh. and I think it was also a piece, it was such a beautiful piece. It, my dad and I, we both fell in love with it, a piece that she was very attached to. I think she hadn't exhibited and she hadn't put it up for sale before this fair. So also then to ask for a price reduction was like quite a lot for to take in. But I was just like, no, but we really love it so much, but you have to give us a disc in like reduction. <laughs> as long as it's a pleasant experience mm. um, for, for both sides, I think that's really important. Your work has been picked up by various publications, including Vogue. How mm. did that come about? According to my mother, it's a miracle. <laughs> Just like, oh, you're so lucky, you know? <laughs> but it was actually a rather calculated move. I prepared for it for six months. A lot of people are quite surprised about, about that. From day one, I digitalized my artwork. So all my artwork is in immaculate portrayed on, online in continuity as well, because the green I use is very particular as well. So I scanned all my work professionally by 3D scanner not at home, but by a professional company, and um, created a database for this. Because publication is, I don't know much about publication, but it's very much about spacing. Very often there's a subject they're writing about, and it it just needs to fit in. And you need to deliver the artwork, digital artwork, in time. Mm. So I have a, a G Drive system where I've got all my work online and there's a whole database for each painting. It's an incredible amount of work to even keep up with it. I'm producing a lot more work. It becomes a lot more work to set it all up. So I've got this incredible database. I've got a link that I sent over to publicists when they're just before printing time. So Vogue Living, for example, I contacted several magazines that I knew were writing about botanical subjects. I think they sent me a message and said, like, we need that image within three minutes. And I think I was driving <laughs> in a car and they were like, we need it now. And um, and I just uh, sent them over the link. So not even we transfer. So this is a little bit more convenient mm. because I didn't have, you have to sometimes calculate as well as you, you yourself don't have uh, internet and the files um, are quite uh, quite big again. So you want it to be very accessible. The New York Times as well, I got everything ready and I was very flexible and said like, well, you can choose whichever image you want to pick and just send them the, the, the link. Often what these magazines or all the magazines do, they have a deadline, they need to publish something. They yeah. probably will ask four or five different artists that they like and whomever is most prepared, <laughs> they will pick. So there is a bit of a chart. Yeah, you can't calculate. I mean, you can't. There's also a little bit of luck involved. 
but I don't really let it go come down to to luck. I really uh, prepare for it. So the, when the New York Times contacted me, I was like already prepared months ago to make sure I had uh, the material for them so they could make a publication. Yeah, that's amazing. You're ready for the call from the New York Times. <laughs> the high quality images you have to create yourself. So you have a lot of really great companies that photograph or scan mm. the artwork. And I recommend this highly because once you sell your artwork, it's lost forever. Of course, yeah. Not lost forever. I mean, often it's somewhere in Qatar or America or Asia. You just, you can't just say like, oh, could you just ship it back? Because it's incredibly expensive. Mm. And one, once it's purchased, it, it's no longer yours to do anything <laughs> with. So straight away recording your work digitally is incredibly important. And I also do this for for license agreements and reproduction possibilities. So that's also part of my income as well. Ah, uh, really? Mm-hmm. How does that work if someone's bought a piece? Can you still, do you incorporate that into the agreement when they buy the piece? Or is it separate from pieces that you're selling? They get the painting, but they don't have the imaging right. So the license right always remains to the artist automatically, even if it doesn't say it in the contract. Yeah, I also did a lot of research on, you know, finding it all out, how it all, how it all works. You remain the owner of the license of your own work. And that, of course, you can have exclusive contracts. Most of the time it's uh, non-exclusive. Uh, but if you do uh, print or you specialize in print and in photography, that works slightly differently because then you do everything limited to a certain number and then the pricing is then adjusted to that again. And do you create prints from your originals? Till now I have let lots of clients do that. I just did not get around doing it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Sash has been running uh, limited editions. Mm. I actually had a conversation with Rebecca Wilson uh, in New York at, um, in 2018, I think it was in the spring. And I asked her advice on this because I really want to remain in the high-end, high-quality market. Mm. Uh, that's very much at the core of my work as well, is the quality. And she said, uh, absolutely be careful with doing cheap reproductions. So you, she said, you really want to stay in the fine art, fine art segment and the exclusivity of it is uh, an important part of it. So purposely kind of waited a few years. I could have already generated income from in year one, two and three, but I waited till mm. f- year four now. So I've only very recently started to do high-end prints. So I worked together with a print house in Amsterdam together to create limited editions. So I only started that like two months ago two months ago so (laughs) that's exciting but that sounds like very wise advice from Rebecca of course especially the nature of your work I can imagine that prints would be incredibly successful and popular but to preserve your work like that is really wise and it's sort of playing the long game isn't it yeah because you want to do this for longer than you don't want to burn out Mm. too too quickly you kind of want to make sure you can last uh, a whole career out of it I mean it's incredible to stand on on the other art fair and ask for advice because there's so many question marks hovering above a lot of things you know I know all these things because I've talked to many people I read a lot of research papers on this I read a lot of books I keep learning about about it as well and I'm I'm 
I came in in the industry knowing absolutely nothing and I've been growing and learning as I've been going along and you kind of adjust your strategies around how the market functions and then again of course I ask a lot of curators that are walking around at the other art fair which is absolutely incredible to have their expertise and insight but also amongst artists, like of course, we exchange a lot of ideas, but also like helping each other uh, out for this particular fair, which was the last one I've done, was a great challenge to do because of COVID and Brexit. And no one knew the rules. <laughs> so everyone, <laughs> you would call up the embassy and just like, so what do I need to do? And they were like, well, we don't. We don't know. And so uh, I've collaborated with a photographer called Paul Browns. Oh, yes, I know as well. And we ended up nervously calling each other every day (laughs) and finding out and exchanging information. Like he got things delivered to my house. He managed to take a few furniture pieces for me over to to London uh, from Amsterdam. And get the whole like logistics around it because doing a fair there there's a lot of preparation for it absolutely i think tapping into the artist network whether you're doing a fair or a gallery opening or anything really there's it's always worth um talking to your fellow artists well everything that you've done marianne is just so professional to such a high standard um probably i, I mean i don't want to assume but i i imagine even better than lots of galleries might my my too <laughs> so it's all very well deserved your success and oh thank you <laughs> i think we we don't really have much more time to talk but that has i could this, now go on <laughs> this conversation has been so jam-packed with advice amazing advice so thank you for being so generous with that and sharing your oh, tips Cheers. <laughs> and um yeah it was lovely to talk to you thank you you too thank you Thank you so much for listening this week. Please do follow Marianne at Marianne Hendricks and the podcast at The Visible Artist Podcast. And thank you so much for everyone who has downloaded, listened, rated and reviewed. Really helps boost the podcast in the charts. Next week, I'll be bringing you another inspiring artist. So in the meantime, I hope you enjoy your time in the studio and I'll see you next Friday. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus... Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.